In episode 4.3 of Unshuffled, we tackle Meliora, the third full-length album from Swedish hard rock behemoth Ghost. But first, here's Seven Planets. Scotty D here, <laughs> Maddie H. So this is, I'm, I'm, I'm going to jump in real quick here. Atomic Bitch Wax, the, the one thing we kept talking about is how much we wanted to see them live. Mm-hmm. Um, with Gojira, you, you saw them live, but you don't remember, so it doesn't count. Uh, so the, the idea of seeing them live. Okay, this band, Ghost, this has got live, this has got to be, this has got to be an amazing performance. There's the whole right. theatrics. There's 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 everything, and now they're playing into it. I, I feel like the albums are intentionally being written with the live performance in mind. I've got no doubt about that. I must say that, given the current state of the world, I'd be happy to go and see a Year Seven recorder band live <laughs> at the moment. I'd I'd take any anything I could get right now. <laughs> Having said that, I don't know that I, I, I agree with you that they write songs specifically for their live show. They've spoken about that in their interviews, but I'm not sure I'd be as excited as you to see them live. Hmm. It just keeps getting bigger. It keeps getting bigger. It, that's the problem with me. I feel like it's probably too big now. And I, firstly, I'm not going to go to a festival. My festival days. Well, I never really enjoyed them anyway. You'd be seeing them in a huge hall. I'm sure it would be impressive, but we spoke about the sort of Broadway aspect of the last album, and I feel like seeing them live would be almost like going to a Broadway musical more so than a an Atomic Bitch Wax, mm-hmm. you know. See, I, I hear where you're coming from. Rock and roll show. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm typically of the mind that I, I don't want... I don't want theater mixed in my metal, right? Mm. I, I I want them separated, right? No, I don't want them in the same chalice or whatever. There, I'm I'm willing to change that up for this band. Well, like I said, I'll take anyone. So if it's Ghost, so be it. <laughs> Over an anthemic Year Seven recorder con- concert. Yeah. Welcome, listeners. We are unshuffled. So. Um, We'll get into why we're talking about Ghost in a moment. But first, let's introduce ourselves. We are Unshuffled. This is our podcast. We are trying to bring back the album. It shouldn't need to be brought back, but it does because it's been killed by random shuffles, iTunes, Spotify, all of those apps on your phones that have just destroyed the act of buying an album, putting it on, and listening to it from start to finish. We're trying to bring that back with our podcast. What we're doing is choosing a band and going through album by album, listening to it in depth and then coming together and discussing it, having not compared notes during that process. So this is the first time we'll be discussing it together. Hopefully you, listener, are on board with the concept and are coming along with us. So our hope is that 
If you haven't heard Ghost before, you are coming on this journey with us, and we recommend that you listen to the album before you listen to us. If you have heard Ghost, you might still want to listen to us anyway because you might want to revisit the album and you know live through it again and, and compare your thoughts with ours perhaps and you can uh, give us some feedback through our various channels which we'll give out later in the podcast. But here we are. And today the album we're discussing is Maliora, the third full-length album. There's been plenty of uh, EPs along the way and there's another one around the time of this album, but the band is Ghost the Swedish behemoth of a band. I mean, they've taken the hard rock world by storm and this album really was the one where they went from superstardom to mega super duper stardom, <laughs> if that's possible. This is it, right? This is the one that propelled them. Yeah. I mean, at this point, you've got the James Hetfields of the world sitting up and taking notice. Mm. You're going on, on tours with that level of band and you're playing to big crowds, big audiences, big festivals around the world. So, yeah, I think this is certainly the um, their debut as one of the bigger hard rock slash heavy metal bands on the planet. Well, and the, the producer, this Klaus Aland, he's, I mean, he's no joke. He's even just who he's worked with. So they're, they've mm. got big names with them. That's for sure. Um, and we can talk about the production and you know, a few other things around the release in a moment. But uh, before we do that, why don't you perform your uh, regular duties and fill us in on the album details, the release date, the credits for the album and all, all the rest before we dive in uh, in a bit more depth. Okay. So this one was released on August 21st of 2015. So band's been going for five years now. At this point, uh, the producer is Klaus Holland, who has worked with, well, Teddy Bear, apparently. Um, <laughs> That's his band. <laughs> with, uh, he's worked with Britney Spears. He's worked with Katy Perry, Kesha, Madonna. I mean, he's, he's you know, he's, he's got some tracks under his belt. Um, Not was, only as a producer, but as a songwriter, I'm just to break in there. Right. So he's co-written co songs with some of those artists, some of those big artists, as well as um, producing or co-producing some big hits. Well, he co-wrote seven of the songs on this album. Absolutely. So, yeah. Um, the It was recorded. They did some traveling for this one. It seems like, it, as far as I can tell here, it was recorded at five or four different studios. So when I'm seeing it's showing up that, Two of the studios in Hollywood, uh, one of them in L.A., which in Hollywood in L.A., doesn't matter. Um, and then one of them is Stockholm. And so I don't know if remember the last one. We were, I'm not the last one we were talking about how it was sort of pieced together here and there. Uh, it's conceivable that similar thing happened here where ideas were sort of germinated and started in one studio and taken over here where they were sort of finished or added to. I don't know. Oh, and then the lineup. We, uh, we have... Papa Emeritus the third. Now there's a Papa, Papa Emeritus here. There's a uh, there's a story on him that that apparently he he just rose up and 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 took the power and and was not one who was going to be with us long. And I believe we lose Papa Emeritus in like the last song. 
there was a big, there was a big, I guess the stage performance of, of the, the changing of the guard from Papa E3 to, uh, to the new Pope was like a big thing at the end of their tour. And the new Pope is not, uh, our man there. Um, to boss. Thank you. <laughs> it's, it becomes a saxophone player, a random saxophone player in the back. Of the I guess there are some people that buy into all this theater. I'm not one of them. I, I you can give it a spell as far as I'm concerned. It's Tobias Forge as the lead singer, and he has been all along, and he will continue to be. I mean, I find this kind of ridiculous, all this stuff, but some people seem to like it, I suppose. And then we've got our nameless schools. Yeah. Now, was it after this album that the nameless schools sort of kicked up a bit of a stink and had a and took Tobias to court. Was it between this and the next one, or was it after the next one? I'm not sure. I think it was between this one and the next one. And that's actually part of, that's a question I have going into this is, uh, I mean, we don't know, but mm. are they the same? Because I'm, I'm noticing the musicianship on this album is le is, is legitimately better than I think what, um, what I've seen already. I'm just thinking like the, just even the, the bass and the drums. And so I don't know if it's if it's a completely different band or if it's just everybody's gotten more comfortable with each other. Yeah, I, I think part of it might also just be production. I mean, this is, and we'll again we'll get into the production later. But this is a right. almost perfectly produced album, I think. Yeah, 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 yeah. Agreed. I'm I'm glad you've got all of those details though, because I have nothing. I bought the CD. Now I was bemoaning the digi sleeve on the last one. Right. And I, did, I didn't fall into the same track with this one. I have got a great edition, a great CD edition of this one. It comes with two discs, the full LP of Meliora without the bonus track. There is a bonus track on some versions called Zenith. I don't have that on this. But I do have the EP that was released a little bit after Meliora called the Pope Star EP, which has arguably their biggest and most well-known hit on it called Square Hammer, which we'll discuss perhaps at the end of when we get through all the Meliora songs. But this is a much better physical release. Every song has this beautiful artwork. And now the artist is the same as on the previous one. Our, our Polish friend, Mr. Zbigniew Bilak. It's, there's some beautiful line drawings every, for every song that you know it's represented in its own drawing plus there's the full lyrics and a um a lovely picture of the band in all their garb it's got the producer and mixer's name but no other details there's so there's there's we do have the name of one of the people from so klaus Aland, hmm. who's the producer also wrote yep. co-wrote seven of the tracks but martin persner who is up in the band uh, wrote co-wrote six of the tracks. Yeah, under a different name, right? He was Omega. Was the the who he the, who he was as the nameless ghoul. Um, yeah, he <laughs> is. This is his. This is his last. So there's apparently the the split between him and Tobias Forge in 2016 was was nasty, and he refuses to talk about it. Says it was horrifying. He won't talk about it. He was not part of the lawsuit of people that sued him in 2017. Um, but he still refuses to have anything to do with, uh, and he won't talk about it, about okay. whatever happened or whatever it was. Um, but 
he's been one of the main songwriters for the last three albums. So the this the next album I'm assuming is going to sound different because one of the main co-songwriters is removed from the equation. Yeah, I imagine so. Um, the only other credit on the album, just to finish that off, is the mixer, uh, Andy Wallace, who's also a well-known name in music circles. So, yes, there are some big names involved with this. But, yeah, those lineup changes, well, it'll be a, a question that hangs over, hangs over us into the next album just to see where it goes from here. Okay, so with the album details locked away, let's dive into the track-by-track track discussion, and you can talk about the first song. I'll, I'll let you lead off, and you can talk about not only the song, but you know your first impressions of the album when you first heard that that song kick off. So let's uh, let's kick it off with the first track on the album, Spirit. So again. The first track of I think each album has started sort of with that mood setter, and we we get the spooky organ, we get the theremin, and then and then the metal kicks in, and sort of that's where we get that uh, we get the thundering drums, we get the pulsating bass, we get that metal guitar riff, and it's just like oh okay this this is going to be a metal album. The the one thing I noticed, and and it continues, it it stays through throughout the song. But uh, the choir is more keyboardy than it was before. Like I, I think we've—I uh, don't think they recruited the janitors this time, and it feels the the choir feels more sort of, um, yeah, I guess electronic than than real. And one of the the write-ups of the album that I read was saying that was sort of intentional. Like this album was supposed to sort of even reflect more of that kind of techy electronic sound uh sort of a stripping away of authenticity is this this again to the story of the the false the false pope taking charge <laughs> so it was a theme a motif if you will mm -hmm. but you like the song yeah i do yeah me too it, it was a, a good opener so uh interestingly here we're back in 12 8 Da 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 da. As we were on the first album, uh, Opus Eponymous. So I don't think we had any in that time signature on the last one from memory. But yeah, we had Conclavi Condio and the the instrumental track at the end of that album in this time signature. In some ways, I thought that linked us back to the first album musically. I felt like this was closer musically. Now the production is is a long way from the first album, but I've this felt less Broadway and more metal to me, you know, right from the start. And, and that's a theme that continues throughout this album. You're right about, you know, the, the heavy guitar, the big drums, all that stuff. All those ghost elements are here, but with better production, I agree with you about the choir. The other thing that was a step up for me in this song is the lyrics and again, that's going to be a theme throughout this better lyrics. This is an ode to, so it's called spirit. It's an ode to a literal drinkable spirit, the spirit of absinthe, which was uh, favoured by many great artists over the years and, and might have cost one or two uh, an ear uh, in its time. But yeah, and the other thing, so the lyrics jumped out at me as just, oh, this is better and it's not that silly Satan stuff. It's it's a It's a little more sophisticated and the vocals sounded great not just because tobias is singing better i think he is 
But I think this Klaus Arlen guy, who's really, uh, he, you know, he's most well known for his work with vocalists, female vocalists in particular. I think he's very good at getting the best out of vocal performance and giving it the support it needs. So there's not many times throughout this whole album where you hear just one vocal. It's always a layered, layered upon itself. And this, you know, throughout this song, there's plenty of examples of that. So it sounds great. Musically, it's it's heavy. It's great. It's um, you know, it's we're back to Rocky Ghost, but the production and the lyrics and the vocals on this just instantly jump out at me and say, yeah, we're we're we might be about to hear something special. From there, we jump into the second song, "From the Pinnacle to the Pit." This is a favorite song of James Hetfield. It's on his best songs of all time list that I saw on some metal. So I'll see if I can dig it up and put it in the show notes. This is built around a big, dirty bass line that opens a song, and there's a real swagger to this one, almost a, a stoner rock, stoner metal kind of swing in that big riff. And then it switches between the, the bassy, swinging metal riff to those, and we used the word a lot on the last album, the anthemic, Court. And and I think you sort of pointed out that maybe it's a key change. I I don't know, but it, it does, certainly the the choruses are very different to the verses. That you know you're cast out from the heavens to the ground. But you know you know we get through that, and then we get well, basically the song repeats again. We get the dirty bass line again, and we repeat it all. Great song, I thought. An interesting mix of styles. We get the 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 choiry, synthy choiry bits, the anthemic section and some great lyrics. And I'll talk about the, the lyrics of this song in a moment, but uh, just interested in your thoughts on this song musically. Musically, I love that opening bass, that bass just that opening bass riff, that kind of sort of that, yeah. <laughs> that sound. Um, and, and that just drives, that just drives the song throughout. Uh, and then, and then the, um, I think Krang magazine described this song as uh, a song that should be blasting out of a car stereo in an American high school parking lot, just to sort of go onto your, your sort of stoner rock theme. Um, and then, and, and lyrically to sort of match what you were saying with the last song uh, for, for spirit, they, they are, I mean, he sort of, this seems to be developing a metaphor here, right. With this idea of um, from the pinnacle to the pit is the is sort of Satan's fall from heaven. And, uh, and and it's sort of mirroring the uh, the fall of mankind. That's that's what I like about the like all through the first couple of albums. It's been like, oh, it's okay, but it just feels so silly. I haven't we haven't had the chance to view it as a metaphor yet. It's always just had the literal interpretation and hasn't left any room for a meta metaphorical interpretation. But we're getting that here and that fallen angel metaphor is you know is something that human beings can relate to anyone that's being kicked out of their local country club for doing the wrong thing uh or whatever it is you know if you've you know that feeling of being locked out and you know not allowed into a certain place i mean it's something that humans can relate to which is why there's been so many great works of literature about you know, the fallen angel idea and, and great songs. I, I wrote a few down just off the top of my head. There was Fall From Grace by Morbid Angel, Fallen Angel by Iron Maiden, 
And uh, probably the best one is Fallen Angel by Poison, of course. <laughs> I was hoping uh, you were going to throw that in there. <laughs> Of course. <laughs> I was like... <laughs> yeah. That, <laughs> what a band. Um, but, yeah, you know, finally we can relax. And, and those of us that don't want to take this silly Satanism stuff at face value can actually now say we have an excuse now. It's like, okay, it's about something deeper, finally. No, I, I get what you're saying. The first album, I think what kept coming to mind when we were talking about the lyrics was Scooby-Doo. Like the, the, there was just sort of this, this, this kind of silly Scooby-Doo aspect to the, to the, to talking about the monsters and the ghosts um, that, that we have gotten away from. It is, it's, it's, it's getting a little bit more uh, nuanced, if you will. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Speaking of which, why don't you take us into the next song? All right, Cerise. Yeah, no, I've heard them. Um, I've heard one of the ghouls, I think it was, discuss the pronunciation of this. It's intended to be pronounced Cerise, and that's how Colbert pronounces it when he's introducing it. They did a performance on this on the Halloween special of Colbert, you know, five or six mm -hmm. years ago. But, um, well, I'm in Italy. When I see, when the first time I saw it, because I've been here a year now, it's uh, Cerice is what I sort of read now. Uh, and that, and I've stopped myself. But then hearing this guy, he said that's the alternative pronunciation, and that's kind of, which is an old word for church. So it's designed to have a double meaning. It's either a girl's name, Cerise, in which case you can view the song as a love song, or it means church, which you can view it as something more sinister. He said it's a song about manipulation, and I'll talk about the lyrics. So um, I was actually. It's interesting you said that about the manipulation because that's the thing about these lyrics is that knowing this band where these these aren't hopeful, right? It's this idea where he's saying, like, I know your soul is not tainted even though you've been told so. This idea that the empathy, I can feel the thunder inside, breaking inside you, the scars, and then uh, with the whisper, that that's the moment where I was talking about musically where it sort of just builds up, builds up, and then sort of comes into this whisper. Can't you see that you're lost without me? Yeah. And it's just manipulation, I think, is, is, is the best word to sort of describe kind of that the, the tone that's underlying this. Um, mm -hmm. I think this is also their Grammy winner. It's, 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 it's they play with dynamics so much in this song. And, and that's also that sort of even the emotional manipulation of, of what, what happens when you play with the dynamics. It's dramatic. It gets loud. It gets soft. It's got that booming cannon-like bass drum. Uh, there's a wicked key I think, that, I think that's, looking at the keyboard, I think that's a timpani. Oh, all right. Well, there you go. I think um, it's our first timpani that we've come across on this podcast. I, I don't have him on my band round, though. It's got it's got a wicked guitar solo. I don't think he made my band brown low either, um, which sort of then fades into that church organ, and then that's when everything like just that the timpani and the and, and the guitar and everything just falls away, and there's that pleading. It's almost pleading, saying, "Can't you see that you're lost without me?" And then, and then. It ends on the skid row, whoa, 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 from I Remember You. <laughs> That's why it won the Grammy. Yeah. Um, did you detect Slayer in the opening? I, I wrote Slayer in the Dead Skin Mask in that, um, ah. the sort of sinister tones of the opening. No, I didn't, um, but now that you mention it. Slayer with a keyboard. <laughs> with a guitar. <laughs> 
Um, I agree with the things that you've said. Uh, the drums sound great, the big thundering drums, and they, he sings about thunder, and that timpani gives it that, that thundering effect that, that goes along with the lyrics. And, yeah, I love the dynamics, the melodic solo giving way to the sort of more metallic solo. So, yeah, that, that switch between the metallic riff and the, the gentle riff. Manipulation is great. To me, the theme I picked up on, and I, you know, perhaps it was after hearing him talking about Chiriche and, and the fact that it meant church. This to me was a song about evangelists and the sort of manipulative methods that some evangelical preachers might use to, to try and make a connection with someone and draw them into the flock. Um, I don't know if I'm reading too much into it, but that was my interpretation of it. Yeah, and there was a time when every band, every heavy metal band had a had an evangelist song. Slayer had Read Between the Lies. Anthrax had one. Metallica had Leopard Messiah. You know, it was a, back in the days of Jimmy Swaggart and um, Jim Backer. There was there was a very common testament theme. What you preach? Yeah, yeah, and there were, no doubt there's plenty of others as well. I think this is a perhaps a more sophisticated. If that's what it is about, it's a more sophisticated way of discussing it in you know actually taking on the persona of a preacher rather than just singing in the third person about these terrible people that ripped everyone off and 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 um you know convinced gullible people to send in their money this is more sinister in a way and that it's he's taking on the persona of that charismatic preacher trying to lure someone in which uh, i think is creepy and and and, and really effective it's a great song mm. Any more on that one? Nope. Although, do we put spoke sonat on the end of that? Because it seems to sort of just the melodically, it follows, it's just kind of this quiet instrumental, a little clavichord, I think, that continues yeah. the melody. Yeah, I guess it, it goes along with it. And not, a nice little interlude, I thought. A, quite a sweet sound in, in, in spoke sonat. I don't know what spoke sonat means. We should have looked so it up. I, looked, I did. I looked it up. It means go sonata oh, yeah. in Swedish. Oh, good. What is it? Ghost Sonata. Ghost Sonata. Oh, spoke yeah, yeah, yeah. is, I guess, spook, spooky spoke. Yeah. Sonata. Uh, yeah, nice little interlude. Before we get to the ballad of the album, which um, I'll, I'll lead off with, if you like, this is called He Is. Have we had a ballad from this song before? From this band before? No, and I have a story. Uh, that do, you want, do you want to tell us the story? Well, so I don't know if it's true or not. But the story uh, is the story is that this song wasn't um, this song was not written for this album. The song had been written earlier, and this is one of the songs that Martin Persner had co-written, right? And I think he's been with the band since the since it started. But anyway, so he was one of the co-writers. Martin Persner was one of the co-writers of this song, and apparently the song had been written before I don't know when, and they didn't know how to work it in. They, they knew they liked the song. They knew they had something with this song, but they just could never get the sound right. It was always too soft. It was too, it didn't match the band. And it wasn't until uh, producer Klaus Allen kind of got his hands on it that he was sort of help him, help, able to help them sort of formulate it into what it became. And it sounds like it was written as something else, but then they, in the interim, they lost a close friend of theirs, guitar player for the band Devil's Blood, and uh, and it kind of took on sort of a, a semi-tribute to him as well. Hmm. And that was sort of how it took form and 
found a home on this album, but originally wasn't supposed to be in this one. It was supposed to be on an earlier album. Huh. I didn't know any of that. I mean, you, you said Persner uh, wrote it. It sounded to me like Simon and Garfunkel um, <laughs> might have uh, had co- co-writing duties. It, it's, a, it's a real ballad, this one. Perhaps it's touching on, and we spoke about, I think it was on the first album, we spoke about Tobias's love of Swedish folk music and, and perhaps he's sort of tapping back into some of that sort of stuff here, and which, which is good. I mean, that's what I wanted him to do, to, to sort of look, dig a bit deeper inside himself and, and get past the surface, surface level stuff. I, I think he's done that here. Uh, it's a beautiful song. I mean, if this song was, and it's got quite a, what sort of song, songs about God, what are they, devotional songs or something? It's got that feel about, if it was actually about God, this song would probably be mocked and, and scorned. Hmm. But because it's about the dark one, I guess it's given a pass mark. But you know, putting that aside, you know, there's some really nice strings through this leading to the chorus and, and some really lovely swells. Maybe that's Klaus's influence, you know, getting the, the dynamics um, throughout the song. Some beautiful harmony. It's just a, a really nice song. It does. It's very different to the rest of the album. Just looking at it in isolation, it's a beautiful song and it's something that, you know, it's it's well worth a listen. Okay, so the next song is called Mummy Dust. Mummy as in the uh, Egyptian sort of wrapped up thing, not the uh, maternal interpretation of the, of the word. Um, really heavy riff to kick this off. This The band that jumped to mind for me here was Metallica. This was a big Metallica riff with some additional piano and keyboard shocks throughout. The different thing on this song is the vocal effect. It's it's a really cool vocal effect, I thought. And the other thing that stood out to me as different on this album, well, a couple of things. Firstly, the chorus is really unusual. It's almost a chorus in inverted commas. It's an interesting use of the piano. So it's not a big anthemic chorus. It's just a he sort of just sings along and then you get a little piano effect, something really new and effective. And the guitar solo is this futuristic sort of alien sound, which again is quite experimental and and really cool. Some militaristic drums towards the end. A really heavy, it's probably the heaviest, maybe the heaviest song yet. According to Tobias Forge, or sorry, Papa E the third, it's yeah. the it's the heaviest song. Yeah, I, well I agree with him. Uh, he'd be happy to know. Yeah, it is a it's a real metal song, but also just with these really interesting experimental ingredients that I think make this a really worthwhile listen and just something that sticks out as something new and interesting. It's up there in in my favorite songs off the album, this one, for those reasons. It's it's heavy and I love that heaviness about it, but I also love these little experimental touches throughout. What are your thoughts? You've covered it well, but uh, I do like the mix of heavy, and I like the fact that at the end it sort of gets that uh, Flash Gordon Queen feel to it. It's yeah. sort of that experimental um, keyboard keyboard side. Yeah, no, I really, I, I, I really like the song. And then that'll take us on to Majesty. Going back to that, the song sort of blasting out of a American 
high school parking lot in the 1970s. This is, I remember we had talked in the first album about the Blue Oyster Cult connection. And neither of us saw that. Here I see it. This, 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 this song is, I was like, ah, there it is. There's, there's what my woman from Tokyo or whatever that, that opening, opening riff kind of sounds like. Um, and then that's it. It, it. it changes from there. The other band that came to mind with this song was, uh, was Metal Church. Do you remember the band Metal Church? There was like, I feel like there's so many, if I was to peel back the layers of this song, I would see like the Blue Oyster Cult in the beginning, there's this Metal Church feel and kind of the verse. And then the chorus has this really sort of classic rock feel that would be at least have a home on any, any radio in the Midwest, in the US. So, um, I just I, I like the song. I like the I like the, the changes that it takes in the in the direction yeah. that it goes. Yeah, I came into this song with some trepidation because it's around here that the other albums have started to fall away. We're getting to the second half of the album now. And this is where we've had basically filler in, in the last two albums. We've both sort of agreed. But here if anything, it's gone up a notch. I really like this song too, and I agree with you, that 70s rock god swagger in that opening riff. The band that came to mind for me was Kiss, specifically the song God of Thunder, which, I mean, I was never a Kiss fan, but the band, my, one of my favourite bands of all time, a Swedish band also called Entombed, covered God of Thunder really well and alerted me to the fact that that's just got a huge, a huge riff, which is very reminiscent of, of this riff here. It's it's a strong song. Um, I like the bass in this one. It's the first time the bass really stood out to me. I mean, the bass is there. It's it's always been present, but this has got some really nice bass in that, particularly in that chorus, the old one master chorus. There's a few different instruments in the chorus. I like the chorus, but yeah, and, and the vocals again, that layering in the vocals. The other. Th song for some reason that came to mind was sad but true by metallica and i think it's the the sound of the snare drum it's a very black album sounding snare and there's just in the transitions of the song reminded me of the transitions in sad but true where the drum just you know that uh that snare sound that sort of leads you from verse to chorus and and, and so on and the vocal layering is is here in, in full effect again again the production the vocal production stands out um, from from Mr. Arland here again. So really good song and, yeah, just so far ahead of where they were, you know, I'm, I'm just so glad that we're into the second half of the album and we're still getting great songs here, so that, that makes me happy. After Majesty, we get a little, another very short instrumental called Devil Church. It's got an organ intro, a choral section. It's, it's interesting enough, but it's very short. I mean, you know, it, it's an extra track on the list, but it hardly counts, I would have thought. But uh, anyway, it, it's okay. And then after that, we get a song called Absolution. So here we've got another killer riff opening the song. Still got that 70s influence here. So we, we've got quite a 70s feel to this section of the album. But here we switch. The chorus here is, is perhaps the most hands-in-the-air anthemic chorus on the album, perhaps. I imagine live this would be a real, you know, 
let's let's see let's actually get your hands in the air literally put your hands up in the air yeah so this would be a stadium rocker i imagine it's got an electronic section we haven't heard much of the 80s influence on this album it it was more present on infest i can't even i've forgotten how to say it now the last album had much more 80s influence than this one it's a little bit creeping into this song first time on this album still good not one of my favorite songs on the album though did you like this one yeah, I did. The uh, the beginning had sort of a, it had a Dio feel. Mm. I, I just I was thinking I don't know. It felt like a Dio. Um, even the lyrics, not not the chorus so much, or not the vocals, but but the lyrics and kind of just the the music felt like it. Uh, chorus, yeah, definitely, definitely. Sort of we keep saying anthemic, but that crowd sing along. Um, yeah. They and I, I haven't mentioned this before this isn't the first time they've done this on this album and i don't know why it struck me on this song and i'm trying to remember what other songs they did it on. but there's the dual guitar solo i am a sucker for a good dual guitar solo i do yep. i do like it when they play off each other and then it's just got that big finish right the, the yep. song just the, that final final chorus coming out of the bridge just goes in for that big finish uh so that brings us to the final track on the well kind of the pseudo final track on the album, um, Deus in Absentia. And we're going to start off there with the ticking clock. Uh, and I, I don't know if this is to sort of signify bringing in a new persona or not. Um, but the, the, the theme that sort of pervade here is, I guess, supposed to be the theme of the entire album. And it's about sort of this gap in leadership and, uh, and the story being how, I kind of talked about at the beginning about how Papa E the third was the man who just sort of took the mantle, right? Just saw this dearth in leadership, this absence and, uh, and just ran with it. And the song is filled. It's, it's got the rhythm changes. Uh, I, and the other thing that I've not talked about that I'm realizing is the piano. There's this clean piano that is under kind of just playing under so many of these songs when everything just gets big and loud and bombastic there's still sort of like this clean piano and it really comes through here mm-hmm. um and then there's the outgoing choir and they don't sound as keyboardy this time it sounds like they got the janitors back so i don't know if that's supposed to signify something as far as moving the direction of the next album either or if i'm reading too much into it yeah, I love the choir at the end. There's a there's a a bass singer that who's sort of carries over. The, there's a beautiful deep voice there that sits underneath it all. It wasn't just the choir and and the ticking clock sort of link brought back uh, monstrance clock brought that back to mind. So there are a couple of links back to infestissimum. It is the most infestissimum song i've just created a new word there not just because of those elements but i think the song itself had the most broadway musical vibe to me and and was the furthest away from some of the just straight rock and metal that we've heard in other parts of this album i did like the uh, the little ivories tinkling away throughout the song and you're right they are present in, in elsewhere on the album but they stand out on this one um above all yeah, the highlight of this song, though, is that, that choir outro. It's, it's really beautiful and just in isolation, it's a, a, it's a beautiful and fitting end to what I thought was an excellent album. Perhaps we'll give our 
summaries of the album. Do you want to get into the album summaries or do you want to talk about Square Hammer off the EP? Well, I, I kind of need to throw Square Hammer in there. Yeah. All right, let's, let's get Square Hammer in because if you buy the deluxe version, you're going to get Square Hammer, so let's have a chat about it. It's probably their biggest and most well-known song, so it certainly needs to be talked about and now is the time to do it. So I don't even know if this counts, but if it does count, I, it would be my favorite song on the album. But it, it sounds like it's everybody's favorite song. It was it yeah. was ranked Loudwire ranked it the best metal song of 2016, and then three years later, when they did their best metal song of the decade, it took the top song for the best metal song of the decade as well. I don't know about that, but it is my favorite song on the album if I was put, to put it all together. Um, I love, I just, I love the punchy, bouncy drums, the, the sort of that dancey baseball stadium organ, the, the driving guitar riff under the chorus, and that, that massive chorus. Mm. Just, and, and, and so the live, that live album that I've been referring to, this is how they kick the album off. And you can hear, if you go back and listen to it, there are explosions, right, that are happening on stage as the band is just coming out and erupting. Uh, and you can hear in the song exactly where those explosions are going to come in. And so when you listen to the live version, then you go back to the, the studio version, you're like, oh, I, I need the explosions. What happened to the explosions? <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, no, this is just such a massive song. Yeah, so prior, just I, I heard Tobias interviewed about this song. I think it was on after it was named Song of the Decade or whatever. Prior to this, so after the release of Meliora, but prior to the release of this EP, they switched between opening their concerts with Spirit and I think if it was a shorter, like a festival, you know, 45-minute set or whatever, they'd open their gig with um, From the Pinnacle to the Pit. But Tobias said, we just wanted something straight in 4-4 time, just a big rocking song to kick off the concert and that's you know he wrote this song specifically with that in mind this is going to be the, the song that opens our concerts and it's <laughs> going to be in straight 4-4 and yeah i mean it's a huge hit it's got that unforgettable opening uh riff that then you know sort of drives the whole song great song yeah and the ep itself is very interesting the rest the rest of the ep there's four different covers you like um i believe that that's the one you like right the third song on the EP. Oh, is that the Simeon Mobile Disco one? Yeah, yes. I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, yes, yeah. it is. And we both like um, Bible, the last song. Yep. Bible is um, a cover of a Swedish band um, called, what are they called? Imperia, is that right? Imperia. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah, and that I love that last song. That's brilliant, and mm. um, it's quite faithful to the original. Actually, it's just a great song. Like, um, it's not that Ghost have made it great. It's just a great song in itself. So that is worth a listen. And the fact that you get all that bundled up in this CD package um, really adds value, I think, and, and makes it worth buying. But yeah, Square Hammer is fantastic. Let's hear your thoughts on the album as a whole. Where does it stand for you in the Ghost? Catalog, where does it stand? You know, overall. I don't know. I don't know you where don't I'm know? at. No, 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 I really don't. I don't know. Like, there's some songs on here that I really, really like, but there are also some songs on Infantissimum that I also really, really like. 
And so if, if I was to make my own sort of uh, ghost greatest hits, if you said, all right, you got 10 songs, 10 songs and you put them together, I'm going to say it would probably be pretty evenly spit, split between this album and the last one. Yeah, I mean, we both sort of identified the, that the top end of, the, of Infestissimum was excellent. Mm-hmm. We both agreed, but the bottom half of that album was was there was quite a gap between the best and the worst on the album, on that album. Right. I feel like they've closed that on this one. I think this is a much more consistent album from start to finish. It's definitely the, yeah no 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 it's definitely more consistent. The musicianship is much much better. I guess I was just thinking about it more from individual tracks, but yeah, I mean from start to finish, it is a stronger album. A couple of things. I think this is a fantastic. I think Maliora is my favourite of theirs easily so far. A couple of things for a couple of reasons. One, that consistency. Also, the production. I think this Klaus Allen guy has done a brilliant job. His pop production, especially in the vocals, has really given this a boost. As well, I mean, the, the instruments sound great as well. I mean, every instrument sounds perfect. There's a beautiful balance. Punchy drums, but they're not overbearing. And every now and then, some really great modern production effects, the use of the synths, the choir. Uh, um, it, it's just so polished and, and so modern sounding. It's uh, it's almost faultless in its production. I think this is probably, you know, along with Magma from Gojira and maybe Gravitron from Atomic Bitchwax, this is one of the best albums, in my opinion, that we've covered so far. It, it's, it, it was very enjoyable. I'm not completely without reservations about it. There is a mix of styles here that is a little bit disorienting. It's or, you know, throwing in that, that ballad is so different to the rest. And then I guess it's a problem with being, I mean, they're obviously talented, you know, if you don't pick something and stick to it, you can it can get a little jarring as you jump from one style to another. So there is that aspect to it, and still in the in the back of my mind, there's that sort of mar- is this just a sort of marketing act? Am I just being am I just falling for some sort of image thing here? It still has that slightly cynical tone to it. I I'm I'm not sure if the, va- the band value, or Tobias in particular, values fame more than artistry or artistry more than, than fame. So that doubt has stuck with me right from the start with this band. But the songs are just so good and the, produ- the, the sound of the album is so good that I'm willing to forgive those little doubts and call this a great album. I, I think I'm happy to call it a great album and I can understand why it's getting so many awards and, and why so many big names in metal and hard rock and, and really have fallen in love with this album. I, I agree. It's a great album. What are, you, what, are you th- what are you expecting for the next one? Well, all I know is there's saxophone on it. <laughs> I, I worry, apart from the saxophone, that worries me slightly. I worry that the lineup changes may have knocked them off, off their focus a little bit. I mean, it, it's been jarring, really. It's been quite, you know... I didn't expect the album we got with this one. I, did, I thought we'd get sort of Broadway, you know, a, a continuing honing of that Broadway style. I didn't expect them to go back to a full hard rock, heavy metal album, guitar-driven album, which they did on this one. So where they go from here, I, it's hard to say. I mean, 
expect the unexpected, I think, a little bit with this band, but hopefully they stick with the style on this one because I really enjoyed what I heard. But um, we'll, we'll find out soon, I suppose. We can start listening to it once we, uh, yeah, with, <laughs> once we finish up here. I'm thinking a West Coast hip-hop album. We haven't heard them do that yet. <laughs> Samples, loops, synth, laid-back rapping style. Um, I have no idea. I, same, same as what you said. When, whenever, whenever any band all of a sudden overhauls the lineup, it, it's going to bring about changes, for better or for worse. It's going to make things different. Um, now, in this case, uh, Tobias Forge, this is his band. It's always been his band. And so he's kind of always held the reins. I, my assumption is, is he's been steering the ship and would continue to steer the ship. But when, you know, significant co-songwriters are removed from the equation, it's, uh, yeah, it'll be interesting. I'm curious. All right. Well, before, before we tie out, we better quickly give our band Brownlow votes and then we'll uh, bid our listeners farewell and head off and listen to the new one. But it's not new anymore, but new for us. So let's tidy up the band Brownlow. Do you want to lead us off with that? I can do that. Uh, so my my number one is going to go to it's going to the piano. So this is one vote. So the third best no. performance on the album. Uh, no, this is the three. Sorry, this oh, is the, the three. three votes. Okay, yeah, yeah, this is, this is right. my top my top dog. This is the, uh, the winner. Okay, I'm starting from the top. Uh, yep. Yeah, I'm, I'm giving it to the piano. Just the, that sort of underlying. It's got that underlying percussive sound. It seems to be the foundation for most of the songs on this album. When you listen closely, you you hear it, and it's there, and it's just it's just on point. And so yeah. I'm gonna give it to the piano. Uh, number two, slash synth slash keyboards. Whatever yeah, it is, the, yeah, yeah. The keys. The keys. Uh, and yep. we'll, we'll I'll squeeze my guitar fella in there too. Um, yep. The number two, I'm giving to the vocals. I think if 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 for nothing else, it was the uh, the attempted Sebastian Bach and Cersei that that really locked that in, um, and uh, and for number the last one, the one point, I guess I'm torn. I I really like the bass. I like uh, he does. I know you had mentioned that you felt like you really only heard it in a couple of songs, but there are moments where he's doing just some cool little fills, just some sort of like subtle little fills that are going throughout. And, and I wanted to give him that, but I got to give it to the guitar. I do, I'm telling you, give me a good dual guitar solo and, and I'm sold. So I'm going keyboard, vocals, and guitar. All right. Well, I'll start from my uh, one vote, so my third best performance, and take us up to my best. So uh, let me, I wish you could give the producer votes because I think the producer deserves some uh, mm -hmm. class Klaus's influence on this album is profound, but we're only going with the performers themselves. Um, I'll give the one to the the what I'll call the synth section. Let's you know you called it the key, the pianos or the keyboards. I think whatever you want to call them. To me, that's the thing that really sets this band apart from so many other big bands throughout the ages. I mean, you know. And they're used so effectively here at various times on the album. You know, I'm thinking uh, in From the Pinnacle to the Pit, for example, when the whole band drops away and you're just left with that synthy, like, oh, and the vocals. So that, that's great. And that, you know, you know you're listening to Ghost when you, when you hear that done so well. I'm going to give two to the vocals not just for the performance, but for the way they're produced on this album, the layering, 
the harmonies. It's a really interesting listen. And a couple of times, just towards the end of our, my time with this album, I just said, on listening to it, I'm just going to listen to the vocals. And it was well worth it. And it's really interesting to hear what Tobias is able to do, but also what was done in the production studios to just give him a little boost as well and to make it sound so so rich, the, the vocal performance, um, really good. And I'm going to go with the guitars for my three votes on this album because I feel like this took us back to a really guitar-driven, muscular 70s, 80s, you know, Kiss, Metallica, Slayer, some of those big, big names from guitar-based rock and, and heavy metal history have really popped into my mind at various times, and I think it's the fact that the guitar and the riffs are so strong and, and it you know, beautifully produced guitar effects as well. So um, the guitar gets my three votes on this album. I don't, I don't know if the listeners are keeping track at home, but this is the first time we've had a three-way tie. Well, history. His, history. History has been made. Everybody, the, 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 the guitar, the vocals, and uh, the keys all got four, four yeah. points. So well, I think it says something about it's it's an even album from song to song, and it's also a really even album from performer to performer. You know, no one dominates; the, everyone plays their part. I think that's part of what makes this such a, a great album. Hmm. Yeah, no, agree. All right. Well, hopefully you agreed with us, listener. If you did or you didn't, be sure to let us know. There's various ways you can do that. You can email us. Uh, our email address is unshuffledpod at gmail.com. We have a Twitter feed at unshuffledpod. And our website where you can find all the show notes from this episode, all the previous episodes with their show notes is unshuffledpod.com. Our lovely little website there. Please contact us and, and let us know your thoughts on this album. We'd love to hear them. Uh, we must not forget to thank Small Stone and the band Seven Planets, who have given us permission to use that great song that you hear in the intro. The album is called Explorer. The track is called Vanguard. Well worth a listen. It's on Bandcamp. Download it. Buy it. Pay the money because it's a really groovy instrumental stoner rock. Great driving music, I think. And, um, yeah, no vocals, so you can listen to it while you're doing some work or whatever as well hmm. if you have to. But, yeah, really enjoyed my time with this album. Hopefully you did too, listener, and it sounds like you did, Scott. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's go listen to the next one. Let's do it. Thank you, listener. Thank you, Matt. And uh, stay healthy, everybody. Bye.